So he's going to review exactly what the yogis do here to control their mind and senses because there is, you know, there is a... Uh, not many people are interested in yoga. The classrooms aren't really packed. And if they're interested in yoga, they're only interested in the half of yoga part, and that's only so they can keep fit and happy in life or have better sex life or, or whatever they want. It has nothing to do with the goal of restraining the senses, which is the whole purpose of yoga. The whole purpose of yoga is to withdraw, step back from sensual engagement so we can see things as they are. As long as we are completely wrapped up in trying to enjoy our senses, what is the question of meditation? What is the question of contemplation? What is the question of realization? It's not possible. As long as we're engaged in trying to enjoy the senses, there's no question of advancement. What passes in today's modern society, except for a very, very few very advanced teachers, what passes for yoga in society today has nothing to do with the practice of yoga that Krishna is speaking of here in Bhagavad Gita. He's talking about Patanjali's actual system of yoga practice for complete purification. And he's, and Prabhupada begins in his purports here in this chapter by in the very beginning saying, it's not possible in this age to practice what Krishna's talking about here. That's why I wanted to go over, first of all, what is true Astanga Yoga. And if you really want to understand uh, Patanjali's system, uh, what is it, the Yoga Sutras? There's one little book. Patanjali, yes. It's, it's a very small book. You can read through that and see what actually is yoga. It won't take, and you'll have a very, because Prabhupada brings it up again and again. It comes up in Bhagavatam. What is this eightfold process? of mystic yoga practice. And why is it so very important? In one age of mankind, it's, it's the only process that's followed for self-realization, for coming to this topmost platform. But they know that ultimately when they get to the point of contemplation, where do they put their mind? At Krishna's lotus feet. Yes? Graham uh, Schweig is in the process of translating the other sutras. Mm-hmm. I also know when I when I was in college, I read a book by a professor, Professor Wood, who was a Western professor who also did uh, extensive study. So that's also a very clear presentation. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see what he has to say, you know, from his point. <laughs> the Yoga Sutras are, you know, generally. Um, um, Ramakrishnananda is the mm-hmm. one that, you know, no, uh, no, Vivekananda's yeah, teacher, she got, you know, mm-hmm. that's sort of, the def- that's the one that's, you know. Considered the definitive yeah. edition. Yeah. And all the Not others. And practically, practically speaking, uh, although the professor would, the one that I, I have, which is, I think was written in uh, 1954 or something, mm-hmm. uh, is a very, very excellent, but it, it comes ultimately to the state of devotion. 
which is actually Patanjali's ultimate contemplation, is devotional contemplation. It'll be nice to have a, a more recent edition. So let's go through these verses and, and try, to, try to touch upon exactly what, what Krishna is trying to convey to Arjuna in this uh, beginning of the sixth chapter. In the first verse, one who is unattached to the fruits of his work and who works as he is obliged is in the renounced order of life. And he is the true mystic, not he who lights no fire and performs no duty. So immediately Krishna is making the point that renunciation without realization is of little or uh, of any value and work in devotion is superior in every way no matter what platform you're on. He began the last chapter with the same exact stance, didn't he? Arjuna said, well, you said to work and you said to don't work. And the same thing is there. Working in devotion is the topmost plat- platform. That will bring us, it will, you will accomplish the same thing by acts of devotion as you would by renounced action. And specifically for someone like Arjuna, he told Arjuna quite frankly, you can't renounce work. You, you won't make it as a sannyasi. It, it's not your nature. So in, partic- in, in Arjuna's particular circumstance, Krishna made the point, and now in general, he's, he's talking about the process of the yogi, the astangi yogi. And he's beginnings, he begins by talking about the renunciate, the, the, the person who, who's come to the renounced order. He goes on, what is called renunciation you should know to be the same as yoga or linking oneself with the supreme. O son of Pandu, for one can never become a yogi unless he renounces the desire for sense gratification. So the goal of both, the goal of both is the same. Is basically what Krishna's trying to get across here. That if we're working in devotional service, if we're working for the Supreme Lord, in working for Him, not trying to enjoy the fruits of our labor, it is the same as renunciation. And it is the same as the practice of yoga. The goal is the same. The goal is detachment. What is called renunciation you should know to be the same as yoga. Or linking oneself with the supreme. Now if we're working for the supreme we're automatically linked with him. We're automatically in transcendental consciousness. Krishna makes that clear. Yat karoshi yadashnosi yajjahosi didasi all that you do, all that you eat, all that you offer and give away should be done as an, as an offering to me. If we're working with everything directed towards the Supreme, we're accomplishing the same end as renunciation of work. So that, that kind of transcendental engagement is going to render, bring us to the topmost platform of self-realization. Text 3, for one who is a neophyte in the Eightfold Yoga system, work is said to be the means. And for one who is already elevated in yoga, cessation of material activities is said to be the means. This is where your points come in. Prabhupada, in the beginning of this purport, he says, the process of linking oneself with the Supreme is called yoga. 
it may be compared to a ladder for attaining the topmost spiritual realization. This ladder begins from the lowest material condition of the living entity and rises up to perfect self-realization in spiritual life. According to various elevations, different parts of the ladder are known by different names. But all in all, the complete ladder is called yoga and may be divided into three parts. Three general divisions now Prabhupada is making. The distinctions of, namely, jnana yoga, where we use our intelligence to advance ourselves spiritually, where we practice restraint of the senses under the astanga yoga system, all of these ultimately culminating in bhakti yoga. The beginning of the latter is called yoga ruruksa stage, and the highest rung is called yoga ruda. The next text, the person is said to be elevated in yoga when, having renounced all material desires, he neither acts for sense gratification nor engages in fruitive activities. The super excellent position of bhakti yoga is that under the guidance of someone who is already situated firmly in, in devotional service, the pure devotee, working under their direction, independent of jnana and independent of yoga, as, we, as we're speaking here, independent of those, by having the grace of the pure devotee and his guidance, we can immediately come, become completely absorbed in working for the Supreme because of his grace. Now that's the real benefits of the process of devotional service. In jnana, we basically are depending on our mind to and, and study of, of, of Vedic literature to bring us to the platform of, of discrimination between what's matter and what's spirit, how is this material world made, and how, what, what is our spiritual constitution, the goal of our, of our spirit. And unfortunately for those that, that use the mind in the process of God generally, Generally speaking, their goal is Brahmananda. Simply becoming freed from the entanglement of karma, of samsara, of repeated birth and death, of birth, death, old age and disease. Their goal is, they know that they're not happy here. It just doesn't work. Although I can do so much, I can try so hard... They just want free of it. Therefore, they are fully content simply to merge into the Supreme. If I can get free from the cycle of birth and death and become liberated in the Supreme, I'm happy. I'm content with that goal. Now the yogi, he goes a little bit further. He controls the mind. He withdraws the senses. And he meditates on the Lord in the heart. He realizes that he's spiritual. Just as the jnani, the jnani wants to merge into the supreme spirit of it all. The yogi is one step further along on the yoga ladder. 
he's one step further along in that he wants to he wants to withdraw the senses he wants to get, gain control of the mind which is simply giving him hardship but he also understands through his meditation and through the directions of the yoga sutras that the goal is truly worship of the lord a superior consciousness Gyani, Gyani doesn't really see the situation as far as a supreme influence within himself. He thinks himself is the all in all. He is, I am God, I am, I am, I am, I'm here, okay, I'm not matter, I am. And the yogi is more, he's more reflective. He knows that there is something something more than just him. And his ultimate realization, though, because he lacks full devotional direction. Here is the key to bhakti. The key is devotional direction. The yogi, he lacks the devotional direction of a lover of God to take him beyond seeing simply the Lord within himself. So he's, that's the end of it. He knows there is a supreme, but he, he lacks introduction to the supreme. There's the key to the practice of bhakti. We are introduced to the supreme by someone who knows the supreme. We'll go on here. So the, the neophyte and the work is the means. So we know what that means. We have to do... We have to do the do's and avoid the don'ts. We have to practice the, the sitting postures, the hatha yoga. And then we have to control the breath. And when the breath gets, once we start controlling the breath, the mind starts to become controlled. When the mind's controlled, once we gain control of the mind, uh, then we can withdraw the senses. As long as the mind is in control, the senses are full out in control of us. So Krishna makes that point very clearly. For one who has control of the mind, we'll get on to that verse. You know, if the control of the mind is there, then the mind is our friend. And with the friendly mind, we can control our senses so they don't get us in trouble. That's Yogi or no yogi, that's definitely the position, is it not? When the mind is going on its own, then the senses are, are dragging it along. When the mind is in control, then there is a little bit of restraint. And when the mind is fully controlled, there's full restraint. When there's full restraint, and what is that restraint? What does Krishna talk about when he talks about that restraint? The regulative principles of what? Freedom. Restraint brings freedom. Freedom from what? From misery. We're all miserable in this world because we let our senses get the best of us. Therefore, we're not free. We're servant. We're servant to lust. We're servant to anger. We're servant to greed. We're servant to all these tendencies to see things in a materialistic way, not in a spiritual way. We take 
the Lord out of the picture, and what's left? Me. Me what? Me want to enjoy. Me want to be lusty. Me want to be greedy. Me want to... It just goes on and on. All the, the senses just drag us into enjoyment. And I don't care about anybody else then. But when we put Krishna in the center, then we care about Krishna. Well, you cannot care about Krishna without caring about all of his parts and parcels. Now you can, in the beginning even of the practice of bhakti, which is the topmost practice of yoga, in the beginning, unfortunately, we do go through a, a stage where we only see God in the temple. Well, we can see this in so much, so much religious practice throughout the world, can we not? That church is there, we go to church on Sunday, we go in, we go into the booth, we say, I did this, Hail Mary, okay, I'm cool now, the sins are gone, and then we walk out of the church and the, the hell with everybody again. So that Kanista platform of devotion, where it's simply a business arrangement with the Supreme Lord, let me go and associate with God and simply perform whatever religious activity is dictated in order that I, I get what I want materially and I avoid the reactions to what I did to enjoy. And basically, if you look at most of the religious practice in the world today, it's performed on the Kanista platform. There are religions, they accept God, but they only see God in the temple, and that's as far as it goes. Now, once in a while, it may go a little bit further. They may see God, but they only see God in their class, in their, in their, in their, in the confines of their religious practice. So I see God, and I see God in my community, in my fellowship of wor worshipers, but not further than that. We're God. We know God. We're God conscious. Now all these other religions, they don't know God. How could they know God? We have God here. He's in our church. He's not in their church. He's in our tradition, not in their tradition. So this, this is the lowest platform of devotional practice, of devotional life, of, of understanding of the Supreme Lord. And that's why in the very beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam, it's pointed out that this, this practice, this dharma, this religion, this is the topmost. And it immediately, the first thing we have to do to truly understand, appreciate, and worship the Lord perfectly, the first thing we have to do is give up this cheating mentality. The cheating mentality is, I'm in this for me. The topmost platform of bhakti, of devotion is, I'm in this for God. That's bhakti. That's bhagavatam. That's the topmost platform of understanding the absolute truth. And again, bhagavatam, beginning, Prabhupada, the very beginning, makes the distinction between the conception of God as known in modern society and the conception of the absolute truth as understand, understood through Bhagavatam, which is the cream, the essence of all Vedic construction. A person is said to be elevated in yoga when, having renounced all material desires, he neither acts for sense gratification 
nor engages in fruitive activities. One must deliver himself with the help of his mind and not degrade himself. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. Krishna in this chapter is going to talk about the system of yoga. He's not going to discount this system of Astanga yoga is part of his direction for the upliftment of man. So he's going to explain fully this process. And this process ultimately comes to the platform of, of control of the mind. And then what's, what's the result? What's the result once we actually get the mind under control through the process of yoga? For one who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends. But for one who has failed to do so, his mind will remain the greatest enemy. For one who has conquered the mind, the super soul is already reached. Wow. Just to be able to with control our mind and withdraw our senses from sense enjoyment, immediately we're in contact with super soul. Immediately we're taking direction from super soul. And that, through the process of bhakti, is attained simply, even if we haven't yet fully gained control of our mind and senses, if we are taking shelter of the spiritual master and following his direction, we are taking direction and immediately have contact with super soul through his grace. Another one of the wonderful benefits of bhakti, that even without coming to the topmost platform, if we take shelter of someone who is already in contact with super soul, and he and we are working according to his direction as best we can. He is so graceful that he accepts whatever little we can offer and he makes the offering to Krishna, to super soul himself. Even if we are full of inadequacies, he covers those. Bhakti yoga, again, even for the neophyte in bhakti yoga, he's automatically on the topmost platform of contact with super soul simply by the grace of the bona fide spiritual master. By the grace of the Vaishnavas, he's automatically serving Krishna and serving super soul because of that grace. For he has attained tranquility. To such a man, happiness and distress, heat and cold, honor and dishonor are all the same. That's control of the mind. The good may come, the bad may come. Everything may go my way. Everything may go against me. It doesn't matter. I am here at the Lord's disposal. And I just read an interesting pastime. I'm sure you've all heard. I'll remind you, though. There's a pastime once where Krishna is in Dwarka and, and Narada Muni was there. And Krishna said, oh, my gosh, I got this terrible headache. God has a headache. <laughs> anyway, he said he had a headache. I have this terrible headache. What can I do? I have to take the dust of my devotees and put it on my head. Narda, would you please go ask some devotee, get their dust and bring it to me, the headache. I need this dust to take the headache away. Well, Narda went to the residence of Dwarka and said, oh, Krishna has a headache. Please, somebody give the dust from your feet. Oh, no one would give their dust. You give the dust of your feet to God, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> Who's going to do that? 
No one wanted to take the chance. Narada Muni went back, you know. Krishna went to everybody in Dwarka. Nobody will give their foot dust for you. They're afraid of the result. They, how can they give you the dust from their feet? He said, well, then you go to Vrindavan. And you ask the gopis, maybe they'll give me some dust from their feet. And they go, he went to Vrindavan and he asked the gopis, would you have some dust for Krishna? He has a headache. Immediately, yes, how much does he need? He can have all the dust from all of our feet. Here, take this. What is the point? The point is for someone who is fully Krishna conscious, distress or happiness, it doesn't matter. They are fully dedicated to Krishna's pleasure. What is the question of going to hell if you're fully dedicated for Krishna's pleasure? Heaven and hell do not exist for someone who is on that platform of devotional understanding. So, of course, Krishna took the dust of the gopis and he was in full ecstasy at that point. <laughs> but that's another thing. <laughs> Moving right along. So these things are not going to affect someone who has control of the mind and senses. Heat, cold, happiness, distress, everything's going for me, everything's going against me. It, it is not going to be significant if everything we're doing is for the pleasure of the Supreme and his devotees. And Prabhupada points that out in the purport. And his devotees. Krishna does not exist without his devotees. Yes? Krishna is always with his devotees. So when we talk about making Krishna happy, we're talking about Krishna and making Krishna and his devotees. We're serving both. In fact... Das, das, anu das. We're the servant of the servant of the servant. That is our mentality. That is, that is our key to advancement. Then the verse we chanted tonight, for a person who is, uh, for a person who is said to be established in self-realization is called a yogi or mystic when he is fully satisfied by virtue of acquired knowledge and realization. Search a person is situated in transcendence and is self-controlled. He sees everything, whether it be pebble, stone, or gold, as the same. We'll finish up with one other little pastime and then we can answer any questions. And this is... <clears throat> a Brahmin was once sent to Sanatanga Swami and uh, he, he, was, he was materially distressed. He, he had no no wealth, and he went to Sanatan Goswami, or he was sent to Sanatan Goswami, and he said, I, I've been sent to you and, and told that you can help me. I, I have no wealth. I, I, need, I need some resources. The Sanatan Goswami, oh, that's no problem. Uh, I have a touchstone. Now, a touchstone's a, a, a very magical thing. You can, it's, it's like some super gem. <laughs> Uh, we have some of these in our store, but it's not like this one. This one is so powerful that if you touch iron to it, it turns to gold. He had a touchstone, and the touchstone was in the rubbish heap. So he told this gentleman, over in the rubbish heap, there's a touchstone. You can take that and satisfy your need. The gentleman took it. Thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> and he left with it. Then he was thinking, my gosh, this gentleman has this stone in his rubbish heap. Wow, why is it in his rubbish heap? 
What does he have where he can throw something this valuable in the rubbish heap? So he went back and said, Sir, you've given me this, and it was in your rubbish heap, therefore it was of no significance to you. What do you have where this, something that can give you all the wealth that you would possibly need, that you can simply discard it like it was of no value whatsoever? Yes, I have something more valuable than this stone, much more valuable than this stone. Yes, well, can you give me that? Yes, I can give you that. Sure. Well, okay. First, you must throw the stone in the river. Throw the stone in the river. Oh, okay. So he threw the stone in the river, and Sanatan Goswami gave him devotional service. He gave him the process of, of, of bhakti yoga. So... Uh, similarly, uh, Trupa Maharaj was telling the story of uh, that <coughs> one rich, uh, uh, what was, it's a king, wasn't he? Was it this? I think it was during your initiation. Do you hear anything during your initiation? Uh, <laughs> we can go back and listen to the tape. Anyway, the gist of the story was this gentleman wanted to have a guru. He had everything. He had a kingdom. He had wealth. He collected taxes. He had all the people worshipped him in the kingdom. He had everything he needed. And he said, well, I should also have the best, the best guru. And the best guru was uh, Gorakashore Das Babaji. He was known as the most advanced devotee. So he went to, to Gorakashore. Well, you, I, I need a guru. And he's, whatever you want, you make me your disciple and I'll give you whatever you want. Look at this man. What, what he wants a hut, he wants a cat. I can build him a cottage. You know, whatever he wants. He couldn't want that much. So he said, uh, okay, so yes. Whatever Guru Dakshin you want, I give you. You make me your disciple. He says, fine, yes. What I would like from you is you, you stay here with me. Now, Gorakashore at that time was living. Uh, he, to, in order to keep you know foul elements away, he stayed in the foulest place. In other words, his foul elements were materialistic people. And he knew that uh, hanging out where the people passed stool... Uh, would not be very attractive to other people. And he could practice his, his sadhana bhakti undisturbed in such a location. So he told the gentleman, you stay here, and then, then you can become my disciple. And, uh, of course, as Tripuroi said, he went running away from that place. <laughs> and we're going to close with the, the ninth verse of the chapter. We'll start with the tenth next week. A person is considered still further advanced when he regards... Honest well-wisher, affectionate benefactors, the neutral mediators, the envious friends and enemies, the pious and the sinners, all with an equal mind. So this equanimity of mind, uh, when it comes to both our friends and our enemies, can you imagine? Wow. Treating them equally. Friends and no matter. It doesn't. Once someone is situated in in pure consciousness, in transcendental consciousness, they see no distinction. Someone may come to, to give us harm or somebody may come to, to offer us a great benediction. Everything for a devotee is coming from Krishna. And if we see everything is coming from Krishna, then we have equanimity of mind.